From Mark's Dining Room Table on South 1st Street in calculated, persistent Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where the nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are scoring systems and lives and continues. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. What's up, y'all? How you doing? We gotta talk faster. We're in Mark's oh, house. Yeah, we have to right. not relax. <laughs> even though it's very comfortable here. I know. I intro did all smooth. Like, oh, we gotta be extra zippy. Not yeah. extra zippy. But <laughs> I think last time we recorded at your place, it, we were um, slower. Because it's so relaxing here. I think we did two episodes. We, um, we did one that was like that. And then we had Holly on for another one of them. Yeah. And I feel like that was pretty high energy. That's yeah. Holly's high energy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Dale, my wife, uh, it recommended that we like keep the energy up because it's really easy to just sort of slip back in our chairs <laughs> and relax here in this alternate clubhouse. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I guess the, the uh, normal clubhouse is being fumigated or, or, or torn down or... <laughs> Or <laughs> something's happening. Or they're there. replacing it with like you know. Yeah, there were like construction noises yesterday. This is annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's true. I was making a gag, but yeah, the uh, <laughs> the bar underneath the clubhouse, which has been the, was the bane of our existence for the first year of our program, yep. uh, and has been uh, uh, thankfully vacant for the second year of our program, <laughs> is now being remodeled uh, in order to attract another buyer to that space. It came back from the grave to haunt us. Yeah. So we'll. Uh, so yeah, there has been construction noises this week. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what that turns into. Yeah. And, and whether it will be uh, good or bad for us. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll just have nice new neighbors. That'd be fun. That would be nice. Yeah. But here we are uh, at my place, yeah. uh, which we've recorded at before, and um, hopefully we'll keep that energy up for you. Yeah. Um, so, Martha, you went to a mini bar. Yes, which is an awesome free unconference thing at, at, that they have every year uh, at Best Buy headquarters. Um, it's put on by this organization called Ministar. And it's really cool because anybody can sign up to do a talk and then people vote on which talks they like or like they're interested in going to. And then they make the rooms assignments based on how many people want to go to each talk. So you can have like a room with a bunch of people in it or a room with like five people in it. But everyone gets to do their thing. Uh, and it's a really good way to like practice talks and stuff like that. And also the what's really cool and what I like every year is that the indie games like cohort of people show up and take over like half of the space in the uh, atrium area and just set up uh, games. Uh, Ian Fitzpatrick runs it every year. Uh, yeah, it's like a, there's it's really a, awesome. multiple stations mm-hmm. and each station has a library of a bunch of games. So it's not just like one per station. So you can walk up and play any game. Yeah. It's a pretty different, it's a cool way to, to demo a bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. And it has a fun name, which Steven, I've heard you say out loud. <laughs> so you, I know you're the one to know it. Mega Mini Multi Indie Mini Arcade. There you go. It's really fun to say. You also <laughs> just practice it. Just say it <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, yeah, it was cool. Uh, we had Widget Satchel there. I wasn't at Mini Bar, but um, mm-hmm. I heard good things. I saw some kids playing it. Yeah. So. Ooh. Uh, your brother reported that it was the fourth most popular <laughs> right, uh, game. Right, he's ranking them. I guess. Uh, somehow he's able to determine. I don't well, know. Well, he could determine that his game is playing constantly because the music was just like right, yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah, it was kind it of could awesome. be he's uh, maybe uh, deflating the ranking just to, to you know, to gag on you. Oh, like, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. He would do that. <laughs> so it was probably the second most popular, we can say with confidence. <laughs> 
<laughs> yep, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of games. Uh, Joggernauts was there. Hyperdot was there. Widget Satch was there. Uh, um, a devs game that he was working on. He's been on the show before. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, that was there. Not Newt 1, but another game. Something he's working on since then? Yeah. Cool. Um, and a bunch of other games like that. Oh, yeah. I, I don't. Is there like a website for this? The Mega Mini Multi Indie Mini Arcade? Uh, uh, there should be a, a page on the mini bar. Yep. Right? There, was a, okay. there was like a listing for it, and they had all the games listed in there. We will link to that in yeah. the description. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, a bunch of people from the community gave talks. Um, there was a mini, uh, like micro talk thing where everyone got to do five minute talks for in- about indie games, mm-hmm. um, and that was really cool. Uh, Ian had his kid draw all of his slides, which oh, was amazing. Wow. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so it was like little kid drawings, and uh, yeah, Adia did a talk about doing games for Amazon Alexa, which mm-hmm. was really interesting. Oh, she did um, that. At, she did that at um, GlitchCon. GlitchCon, but it was fifty minutes. How did she cut it down into seven minutes? <laughs> uh, it was five minutes exactly. Oh. because and she had no slides because wow. why would you need a slide for if you're talking about something that is right. all auditory oh, anyway? Yeah, no, and sense. it was like perfect. Like she, it was amazing. <laughs> cool. Um, and uh, Ava gave a talk um about with a couple of the people. It was like a panel about um working in St. Paul and um, and the resources that are available there, and that was really cool. Sounds like um, a really sad talk. What? I'm just kidding. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> There's so much cool stuff happening. Basically, yeah. the point of the talk was if you're in St. Paul or mm-hmm. thinking of moving to St. Paul with your business, mm-hmm. that you should talk to the city and to the Knight Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's lots it, of like small business accelerator projects. Yeah, and stuff like that. so yeah. they've got lots of resources for people. And basically, Ava's point was just ask them; they might do it for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh wow! So, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's like those old TV commercials with the guy in like the Riddler outfit saying like yeah. "free money from the government." You know, like you know. <laughs> uh, the thing is, some of that's true. Yeah. <laughs> like right. you don't, you don't, don't get what you don't ask for. So. Yeah. yeah, and and not just money, but like they might be able to connect you with the person mm-hmm. who will like get you, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was a really yeah. it's inspiring talk. Yeah, my cool. brother was in that talk too, right? He did the he did one on enemy design, I believe. He oh yeah. Out about oh yeah. The whole week. Yeah, he gave a talk about en- enemy design and making people care about shapes, which is true. He has made everyone care about shapes a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like the stars and triangles oh, he's so, made people hate yeah. them yes more, yeah, more actually, yeah. mostly yeah that Curses was his pluses <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah he mentioned that you hated those <laughs> great <laughs> <laughs> funny well it sounded like mini bar is a good time then yeah it's yeah. it's always a good time like it's because anyone can give a talk like the talk quality can vary like i went to one with nick and a bunch of other people that they everyone else ended up walking out of besides me because the guy who was giving the talk was like you could tell he was like really trying yeah but he was very boring and so <laughs> so but his voice was so soothing that i was okay. just like i want to stay and support <laughs> this guy because it seems it just seems really nice yeah and well that's tricky because kno- wanted- knowing you you were probably at risk of falling asleep Oh, that's what I did. But, <laughs> yeah, it was nice. <laughs> but anyway, even though there's talks like that, mm-hmm. like it's so cool because everyone gets a chance. Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, it's like everyone's really positive, and that's what I really. That's like. good. Yeah, yeah. Um, we also wanted to talk a little bit about Star Trek uh-huh. as we do, right? Because Discovery just ended recently, yeah. season two. So no spoilers. Yes, but I like, will everything is different now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ex- I will pretend like I understand all of this talk. Uh-huh. I haven't seen any of season two. I watched like the first 
Uh, so, no, I watched six episodes of the first season and did not like. Yeah, you it. gave it. You gave it a chance. Yeah, and then you're like, man, nah, after. Oh yeah. And I, I just listened to the podcast Greatest Discovery. <laughs> ah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't actually watch them, mm. but but you guys are missing out because season two was real, real good. Mm. Like the the show felt more like more Star Trek. Okay. It felt more like the thing I loved about the very end of the first season was this idea that Star Trek does better than other shows do, which is this sort of like. Like cynicism is popular in science fiction, yeah. And Star Trek's never been about that, but like sometimes it'll take little pieces of it because it's trendy, you know mm. what I mean? And then, and that's fine. But like, what Star Trek will sometimes do is just everybody will be like, "Let's work together as a team, yeah, and fix this dilithium chamber." And it's just like, <laughs> for some reason, that's so it's so simple. It's such a simple idea. Yeah. But when you see it happen on Star Trek, and then you like think to yourself, "This doesn't happen anywhere else on television," mm-hmm. like. Uh, people uh, who watch like the West Wing would always talk about how it's like it's like workplace fantasy. It's like a workplace where everyone gets along, and that yeah. makes sense. But in Star Trek, it posits a future where that is normal. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and like it, it, um, you know, a lot of a lot of writers on the, on Star Trek have said like, oh, it's very difficult to come with conflict when everybody is like when there's a utopia, mm. and that's true. But the fact that that was always hanging over their heads is like this is what Star Trek is. Actually, let them craft this great balance of a lot of those things and. Discovery really nailed it, and in, especially in season two, really got it very good. They introduced uh, Captain Pike, who is a figure from like Star Trek canon, ah. who was in the original pilot of Star Trek uh, instead of Kirk, mm. and then never appeared again, at least not that actor. Uh-huh. And and so it was like, oh, the first captain of the Enterprise, and so lots of like tie-in novels will like address that. But like, there's not a lot there, right? It was just a little thing and little point of canon I mean, history. He shows up later, but what do you mean? Pike does in TOS. Oh well, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, oh. but not as the same actor as well. Oh, that's oh, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Yeah. and so, um, so people, it's one of those little facts about Star Trek. Like, oh, there was a captain before Kirk. Did you know about it? And so, in Discovery, they bring that character on, played by Anson Mount, mm-hmm. and who was in he was in the Marvels in Human series. Um, okay. and he was in a, he's in spend some I think he's in Hell on Wheels I think. Um, and I didn't know him very well as an actor, but I saw him in Marvels and Humans, and I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> and but the thing is, man, like. Read, like totally knocked it out of the park mm. and at a, for a Star Trek show that is modern and has a a, a, a woman of color as its lead mm-hmm. to bring in a white man with a square jaw uh, like as like as a new main character everyone was like alright you know we don't need that in this mod you know it was, yeah. it's, it was almost like a bad look kind of yeah um, but like the character was amazing they did a okay. really really good job mm. and they turned it into this great ensemble and there's this whole great arc for uh, uh, Michael Burnham the main character of the show and like a bunch of like you know uh, uh, different canon connections, so like a it's, it was a good, it was just a better constructed show. And for like longtime Star Trek fans, there was lots of little things to like about it. That's cool. Um, and then the ending, like big cliffhanger ending. So we'll see what happens. Oh, next it's year. a cliffhanger too. Oh. I mean, in a sense. Dang. Okay. Um, <laughs> you don't. Yeah, you don't really know. Yeah. Yeah. You're what's kind of, gonna happen? Basically, it's a it's, it's it's nearly a blank slate for next year. They you uh-huh. don't really know what next season's gonna be about. Okay. Uh, because of how much they sort of change in the finale. Sure. Okay. Um, which is sort of exciting, but also kind of scary because it could be terrible. <laughs> it really could. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I have confidence that they'll do okay, but like, I don't have so much confidence to like to just it, you know believe Give it them fully. A, yeah. a blank check or whatever. Exactly. Right. Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. But, but yeah, I'm excited and that excited for that and the rest of the other spinoffs that are happening yeah so i'm gonna count these on my fingers because there's a couple of them so the start the picard series so uh patrick stewart's returning as picard Mm -hmm. that started production uh when you listened to this a week or two ago um bunch of really good actors have been hired as the leads on those 
um, uh, one an actor in particular interested in Allison Pill, um, who was in um, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. She was ah. the drummer, oh. and uh, she was also on the Newsroom, uh, which was not a great show, but like she was good on it. Mm-hmm. Um, she's going to be a lead on the show, and there's cool. a bunch of other really cool actors. So, um, but. Martha, you were asking before we started, like, oh, there'll be a bunch of the old TNG characters will come back. Apparently, none of them have been asked. So I'm that's what makes me nervous about it. They haven't asked Gates McFadden, apparently. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I know I, that's, that's like close to a deal breaker. Yeah. Moment, actually, <laughs> huh. I'm just hoping Jane May makes an appearance somewhere in there <laughs> because uh-huh. well, she's on a hit TV show right now. So uh, so maybe that's, that's enough to warrant a, uh, you know, an, an afternoon on the set. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's also the uh, there's going to be an animated show that is like a comedy. Um, it's I don't think it's going to be canon, but it's a uh, sort of uh, sim- it's called Lower Decks. Oh, it's going to okay. be about like the junior officers. Ooh. So it's going to be I think a workplace comedy. That's that the idea. Fun. I'm a little nervous about that okay. because the generally those kind the premise of that is going to imply that like the command level officers are like incompetent and stupid, and it's going to be like the office. Oh, uh, yeah. I, that's my worry anyway. And like mm-hmm. that's not really Star Trek as yeah. I as I detailed just recently. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it'll be funny either way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but a, a Rick and Morty writer is going to be oh, in charge of okay. that. So it, I, I, which you know, that's not necessarily evidence of its tone, mm-hmm. but uh, evidence of its pedigree anyway. Sure. Yeah. Um, there's also going to be a Section 31 series. Oh, uh, Section 31 is like the evil Star Trek or something. Yeah, it's right? like the CIA. Yeah, they're like oh, the okay. covert ops that are sort of off the books. Ah, um, not right. real Federation. Like they don't really are down with the Federation. Like peace and yeah, dipl- diplomacy. Ah. <laughs> it's an interesting conceit. It comes from DS9, and it's this. It's like the Dick Cheney of Star Trek. It's like mm. the I'll do the terrible, awful thing so you can stay comfortable in your beds, yeah. which is like kind of a, a terrible. You know, it has yeah. consequences. Uh-huh, yeah. um, but that's how they feel. They're like, oh, we'll we'll do the terrible stuff, and so they feel morally right. Sure. Uh, in, in doing that sort of thing, and then a lot of the DS9 episodes that that talk about it sort of uh, tackle that question, and so. Um, the they appeared in season two of Discovery. Okay, there was a, a storyline there, and so the spinoff is going to star Michelle Yeoh. Oh, what? Um, yeah, dang it! <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> now you're going to have to watch it. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is a uh, if you watch Discovery, the very circuitous uh, circuitous p- path for that character mm. to end up. <laughs> but you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but that that show is going to be show run by two uh, Discovery staff writers um, who I really really like, who've written some of the best episodes of Discovery. Okay, um, cool. but that show's not going to start for like a year or two because Michelle Yeoh is going to be in season three of Discovery. Ah. so it will, won't start until after that, I think. Um, okay, and then what else? There's going to be a, a cartoon show on Nickelodeon. Um, on uh, Nick, huh? Yeah, so this will not be on CBS All Access. Okay, and it'll be for kids, which is cool. Yeah, right. I think that's great. Mm. Um, I watched Star Trek as a kid, and one of the things I don't like about more modern Star Trek, including the more recent movies, is that they're not for kids. Yeah, yeah. And I think that Star Trek should be an adult show that kids can watch. That's that so because that's how I got into it. Yeah. And so that's one thing that Discovery does not do at all very well. Mm-hmm. Discovery is for me people my age. And that's kind of wrong. So it's cool that they're at least trying to make up for that by having a proper kids show. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And there's probably two or three other <laughs> things in the hopper. <laughs> well, yeah, we can count them and keep score oh. on how many Star Treks there are. <laughs> well played. Well Very played. good. Good transition into uh, my topic, which is scoring systems. Um, this is going to be a kind of a, just a pretty simple idea of like, the, it's one of the things in gaming that has totally changed. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. like from its initial look, uh, conception of what it meant to the experience of a game to mm-hmm. what it means now, yeah. and that is really 
oh, oh, that's because we're not in arcades anymore, and you know, or because we're more sophisticated production tools. Um, but the truth is, it's because games themselves, from a design perspective, have gotten more um, robust and diverse. Yeah, and that's the reason, right? Um, uh, the it's, uh, early games use scoring in a very uh, um, sort of um, similar way to all the other games that were out. Yeah, maybe not necessarily because of it. The I think just almost because of like. Um, a couple of them did it this way, and then they all did it that way. Like yeah. it could, it was almost arbitrary in how it worked. Yeah. essentially, that's how a lot of design worked back then. It felt like. right, and then as more designers come and try more things, and then there's the the, the space is bigger, mm-hmm. then more things can be tried. So I think a lot of people know a lot of the details in this, but I'll just run through a little bit of it. But like you know, high scores was a big thing in arcades, right? Right. Um, to 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 tell you like how well you did, right? It was just, it's just a metric that uh, for the most part. Mo- lots of activity in a game would give you points and they give you different values of points. So it's very strange when you think about it this way compared to current games where like jumping on an enemy gives you this many points, collecting a bonus power gives you this many points, mm-hmm. but you don't keep track of how many enemies ju- you jumped on. Yeah. Like that doesn't, you don't care about that. You just care about the points and every activity is translated into a point value. Mm-hmm. And I, I think even games that do use scores tend to, uh, not award it for all activity. Yeah, the way a lot of old games did, and I found that was the most interesting when I was thinking about this. Um, but yeah, the idea was like you, it would you, how much would a quarter get you? How many millions of points could you could right. you get for your quarter? Right, right? and it's really interesting because uh, like back then, um, there was uh, I mean, they had high score lists and things like that. Yeah, there was a lot of priority on that because there's there's a certain amount of pride behind it if you were high at certain uh, level on the high score list, and you know you're better than number five if you're number four or something right like right and a lot of it's asynchronous play mm-hmm. right so uh you know uh games w- that's how you'd know if you were better than your friend yeah because they played at the pizza parlor down the road and you played at the bowling alley or whatever and right you, right you know so you wouldn't even have to have them on the same machine you could still know what your score was i mean also cynically i mean it's incentive to keep buying the game so you keep you know running points <laughs> oh yeah for or, sure. or keep your rank like if people come and yes. bump you off the list and yeah. you have to be like oh well no i'm yep. gonna come Get my score back up there. Yep, yep, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. I mean, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but then that a lot of that concept uh, came came home to home consoles. Yeah, um, and and then was n- were not really innovated on. Yeah, it was just sort of left alone to yeah. the point where even today you you can get a you, there's a score like a ten digit scoring uh, 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 track for a two D Mario game. Right. Like even today. Yeah, and it feels it. Why? <laughs> oh yeah, I don't understand that. Well, when when Mario Odyssey came out, mm-hmm. and uh, there was thing, oh, we're not going to keep track of lives anymore. Yeah, and a lot of people were like, oh wow, that's amazing. But like, no one's been keeping track of lives anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, for a long, you know, for so long, yeah. and the designers have almost felt burdened by, oh well, we need to just give you a bunch of one ups because uh, otherwise, the system we have that we can't change for some reason. It like ruins the player experience. Right. And finally, Odyssey was just like, yeah, you just lose ten coins. Yep. Like, it's fine. Yeah. And, and the, even when you run out of coins, you just don't lose anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think that that is an interesting. Um, it's it it just shows how like resilient some of these like these original ideas are mm-hmm. to to games that are long running in a franchise. Yeah, um, and how how much they are to the feel of a game. Right. Um, even when you weren't keeping track of your lives in Mario sixty four, like you didn't or you didn't weren't expecting to need to use a continue or whatever, you still when you lost a life, you still felt it. Right? Yeah, it still had a it still had a purpose. Yeah. Um, it just was sort of arbitrary or artificial at that point, yeah. I guess. Um, but we'll get into that when you talk when, in the next topic. Yes. Um, but scoring is very similar. So mm-hmm. it's just these old systems that like we've we've evolved on. But a lot of what we even still today 
um, the feelings we get are based on the feeling, uh, sort of the nostalgia of it. Like um, we've talked about this when we talked about color theory, like the idea that uh, things feel a certain way because they've always felt that way. Yeah. Right. Because they're familiar to us. And so we, that's how you communicate. And so design systems are very similar. And so, uh, but scoring in modern games is much more diverse. Yeah. Um, and usually it's about uh, the actual game mechanics. So you, you store how many, you know, like when you do collect-a-thons, right? How yeah. many of this you collect mm-hmm. or uh, a, a currency that you need to use to pay for things. Yeah. Um, I think we've just gotten, yeah, we've gotten more robust as to like what the points actually mean in the game. Yeah. tend to, they tend to align more with like the design concept for a game. Right. So, uh, yeah, like, so like, like you were saying, loot systems, you know, you want to collect a bunch of things so that you give players incentive to collect things. Mm-hmm. Um, it become, they become resources mm-hmm. rather than metrics necessarily. Yeah. But then they, their secondary purposes as metrics, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of interesting. Yeah. Um, but there's still a place for scores, uh, things like shooting galleries, a lot of VR games, right. uh, use, uh, uh, simple scoring mechanisms because they're again, familiar and have a lot of utility mm-hmm. in, in arcade style games. Yeah. And now a lot of people are playing VR games in arcades. Yeah, that's so. right. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, and some, uh, our VR arcades will have leaderboards, little, uh, flat screens in the lobby that will show it all comes full circle yeah, exactly right. <laughs> yeah but you know uh paintball or laser tag yeah a similar kind of thing um yeah. so it really it just is about how um games have be- yeah they become more diverse uh, uh, in, in what they're able to to get to award you yes right um but as also i think that like um because the we've changed how point systems work in a lot of games like we can use them for different purposes now too mm-hmm. um so like for example in um uh, a beat 'em up sort of game like uh, Bayonetta or Devil May Cry, they have a scoring system. But like, if you if you don't want to, you don't have to pay attention to it. But like, players who are like really into those kinds of games, they love those scoring systems because they tell you what is like best to do, um, mm. like I optimal gameplay situations and things like that. But also, you know, they will try to game it so that they can get the highest score, and that's how they like will compete with one another or yeah, um, you know, tell people how well they did. And they have a ranking system based off of that scoring system. That um, allows players who want to like get more in depth with the game to feel rewarded for doing that, right? And w- yeah, when you do award points for activity, mm-hmm. then it encourages a different kind of play. So, like when Mario Brothers had an arcade version, yeah, um, the you would actually probably that the motivation to get a high score because you'd be ranked, you probably would want to stomp on all the Goombas. Mm-hmm. But when, when you play it at home, you mostly just want to get to the flagpole. Yeah, so the motivations change. And so when you think about this in your own work, like. If you have an arcade style game and you want to do high scores, that's great and that'll make sense and no one will bat an eye. Mm-hmm. But think about how that affects the motivations of your players and think about if you do something interesting with that. Think about if you're doing it just because that's how it's supposed to work yeah. or because it's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Right. And then if you want to do something different, how do you introduce that to a player in a way that like they will be they will go along with? Right. Like will that will confounding their expectations, will that be uh something you're like, oh, that's interesting, or like, oh, that's uncomfortable, right? So that's going to be kind of even you know even systems as old as that people still hold on to yeah. if your if your design systems imply that yeah the, the traditional way yeah and it's interesting how like uh, because like games kind of they transferred into home consoles and stuff and people started playing them at home um, a lot of like the way that players compared themselves to other players changed mm-hmm. from scores to time because um, like yeah. now people oh, now yeah. people compete in speed runs and no one really competes in uh, scoring systems unless it's an old arcade game like donkey kong or something like yeah that. yeah yeah um i mean i don't i don't know the story behind all of that but like i think it makes a lot of sense because like when you purchase this expensive console and this game 
you just want to play the game and then beat the game, and you had a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would just like beat the game, um, and it didn't matter what score you got because like that's not what you would brag to your friends about. You just right, say, ah, right. I beat this and you didn't. <laughs> um, whereas, uh, yeah, in an arcade game, you could brag about like how far you got, but people didn't have infinite amount of times to play the game, so that's what they could brag about, and they could use the score as a comparison. Right, and those games didn't have ends. Yes, right? they didn't have ends as well, especially yeah, older arcade games definitely yeah, didn't yeah. have ends, so... Uh, you know, that was how you needed to, that what you needed to do to compare yourself. <laughs> when you watch like scores. a Donkey Kong high score run or a Pac-Man high score run, it's yeah. interesting because you'll hear because sometimes you'll hear it with commentary or a documentary or something, mm-hmm. and someone will say like, "See how they're not finishing the level yet, so they can get more points." Yeah, <laughs> even that, even though that's really always been the strategy, mm-hmm. that still feels a little clever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, it totally does. <laughs> so, so the, like when you think about if you're designing, well, you know, in Widget Satchel, it's mm-hmm. like the goal is to get to the end, like yeah. any platformer. But, and we don't have a scoring system, but we have we have things that you can be scored on, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and they require you to hold back a little and not make it to the end. Yeah, and so that that still is a part of how we design games. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the scoring systems. Yeah, it do they do encourage you to like get more out of the game. Yeah, as a result, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. I think when we added scores to Clawbreaker, that made people get way into it too. Also, let them keep track of how many times they've played it. Right. Yeah, because we used to not keep track of wins or anything at all. Yeah. But now, yeah, once you get wins. And really, like, in Clawbreaker, wins are practically points. Yeah. <laughs> as quickly as those games go. Wait, so, I, is there just like a... I, I didn't know there was a, a scoring system. Oh, at the end, there's just a... It's not a scoring system, really. It's like, did you win? Oh, okay. And then it, it keeps track of which crab won. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like... I guess just like how quickly all of those things go, it's a little, uh, it, it feels like a scoring system in a way. Yeah, right, right, right. Because points rack up quickly. Yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. so metric, yeah. people are like, let's play till 60. Like whoever gets 60 wins first or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And that's the sort of, uh, it's almost like the rock, paper, scissors or like, uh, uh, you know, just the, something you do over and over and over again. Yeah. Best of this, best of that. That sort of thing. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, it, it does feel like a lot of times like point systems are vestigial. Um, mm-hmm. aspects of games like fighting games still have point systems like because they, they have an arcade mode yeah because um, um, you know there's sometimes people will buy uh, fighting games and then just play it by themselves and I don't understand why they do that right because then you don't have to deal with other people but it's a fighting game and you're but, supposed to deal with but it. then you don't have to go against all the good people who will beat you every time but Anyway, <laughs> it's not fun to lose. Okay, I mean it's fine to be like the you know the champ of the of the local arcade. Yeah, but like when the only way to play with other people is to play with every other person. Yeah, then you know. I, suppose. I mean, ma- matchmaking notwithstanding. Yeah, it's less appealing. Okay, um, sure. But we might not be true fans <laughs> like you. Steve's well. like, well, I don't know you people. <laughs> Why am I here? No. <laughs> But they still like they still have arcade modes and they have scoring systems that I to me seem rudimentary or like uh, they're confusing because yeah. like a lot of times they will encourage you to do things that you would not do in a match. Oh, like, weird. Yeah, like it, for example, in in Soul Calibur games, there are moves called unblockable attacks that are you know unblockable, but they're extremely slow. They take like a second to come out or something. And anybody, if you're fighting against anybody else, they'll easily dodge it in most cases. Um, but you get a lot of points for hitting that. In a, in a in a in the arcade mode version, um, so it like encourages you to spam those moves a lot, which you would not do in a regular game. Isn't that just a risk reward thing? Because it is a risk reward. You spam thing. it a lot, and you've wasted some time, and yeah. you've only gotten the score benefit maybe once or twice of all the spamming you've done. Yeah, right. I mean it is a risk reward thing because yeah, it's hard to hit and stuff like that. But 
I think it encourages players to like use those moves more frequently than they ever should mm. in a lot of cases. <laughs> it's like trying. <laughs> oh, this is just you. You just have an ideological opposition, right? <laughs> yeah. Now I got it. Yeah, <laughs> it's training them the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah. Um. And yeah. So I think like uh in cases like and I think that like I mean like Mario has a bunch of these. They have scoring. It has scoring systems. The two D Mario games still have scoring systems, but like I don't think anybody pays attention to those. No, and the numbers are so inflated and yeah. weird like yeah. you don't have a sense of like what is a high score mm-hmm. what is a good because you always just get many thousands immediately yeah and that's kind of i mean by design like what game doesn't give you a hundred points for something right you know that it is sort of it's a little strange yeah and part of that is like a 100 visually it takes up more space and feels more like a marker than one does like it just right. takes up more pixels mm-hmm. like and is more it could be more readable as a number in in a sense so yeah. i wonder how much of that is just about like uh visual design yeah um but also there's the sort of like the um the sort of uh slot machine me- idea of it that it's just it just racks up fast yeah and the number is so high yeah uh, that like that becomes the like lives is in single digits um you know uh power-ups is in double digits mm-hmm. scores in quadruple digits like it's just where we think they belong yeah but i would like to see a game where like the high score is like 76 like <laughs> like yeah. why, why not you know yeah. like, it depends depending on how many actions generate points but like i'd be curious to see how players would react to something like that well i think a game like that would be flappy bird yeah you like six points and that's high score <laughs> right 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 well yeah those are games where like uh, um or like in uh, clawbreaker like mm-hmm. the the there's one metric and one thing that awards you uh points yeah and i think people do treat that a little differently like you know like flappy bird how many of those yeah but if you got you know uh, more points for getting closer to between the pipes than than graze you know what i mean yeah then then that might be a different kind of way to play the game yeah that's true you know yeah now that i'm thinking about it i feel like in the mobile game space scoring systems are a lot more important than they are um in console games. Well, that's what I was thinking too when you were talking about like score inflation. Like, if you want a game that's just a scoring mechanism, play like all those cookie clicker type, type games. Oh, Click yeah. games are basically just the score mm-hmm. and sans anything else. Right, right. <laughs> which is kind of cool. Like, it's really fun. Uh, I can't remember which one Dylan was playing, but he was playing some idle game while he was playing other games like he likes having two going at once <laughs> um, so effective use of your time yeah yeah i mean especially if you're playing elite dangerous because like because that is j- just by itself not an effective use of your time yeah. <laughs> it just takes a long time to get through between planets Mark. Oh, yeah. not everyone has you know wormholes and hyperdrives and stuff anyway um so yeah he was playing this one i can't remember what it was but like the score got into like the one higher than trillion like yeah. mm. they started making up numbers uh-huh. oh wow <laughs> uh, after that <laughs> that's cool uh which is pretty awesome mm-hmm. yeah um yeah i think that i wonder why um it feels like it's more important in mobile games maybe it's because they're uh, a lot of times i guess now that i think about it they're built similarly to how arcade games were built yeah the uh, charitably that's how you describe it in charitably it's like the closer to casino games sure which yeah. which uh, are about uh, engaging the lizard brain mm-hmm. and high numbers do that yeah um, but I think that's definitely true. They are close to ar- the arcade mechanics. Yeah. Uh, so it makes more sense to those designs. Yeah. Yeah. It totally does. Mm-hmm. Um, but though I, I, now that I think about it, I don't think they have like very complicated scoring systems. Um, arcade, arcade, uh, arcade puzzle games like treasure stack or, uh, Tetris and things like that. Mm-hmm. They have uh, more complicated systems and that's oftentimes how you will compete yeah. uh, between one another. Um, though I guess also you like, we're trying to eliminate your opponent. 
So if it's like at a time based thing, then maybe you would like compare uh, you would compare scores to do it. Sure. Um, but yeah, they have more complicated scoring systems uh, that are you know interesting. Like in Treasure Stack, uh, um, when you make a match, it increases your combo meter up to uh, a limit up to five. And every time you make a match with a a chest, you will unlock that chest, and then you will get points based off of your combo meter. Mm-hmm. So you want to just keep your combo meter up. So you want to constantly make matches as many as you can. Yeah, um, and that will increase your score a lot. So when you're playing it by yourself, that's yeah, that's the way you um, get a high score is you just keep making matches. And everything in the game like um, encourages you to do that. Um, right. So um, one of the things people have said frequently about Treasure Stack is that unlike other types of block dropping games, that your goal isn't to build up a field and then clear it all at once it's yeah. to continually clear elements and that yes. throws people off at first mm-hmm. but sounds like this scoring system um incur like exp- uh, at least somewhat explains that motivation yeah because it rewards you with points when you play that way yes uh, yeah and, the, and like all of those points are important because not only do you get higher score but you also uh remove a potential garbage box that can get sent onto your field right and you're playing both single player and multiplayer mm-hmm. um have you seen players pay attention to their score uh, I only see that really in the case of single player games because the way you win in a multiplayer game is you just survive longer than your opponent. Right. Um. But yeah, uh, people have been paying. There are some really high numbers in our Discord channel. Yeah. <laughs> higher than uh, my boss, who's played the game the most out of any of us. <laughs> They've gotten higher scores than him. So, uh, yeah. Thanks <laughs> for playing the game. A bunch. <laughs> um. But yeah, yeah, I, I think that like, uh, I think that it just, d- depending on like what kind of game you're making, the scoring system can have an impact. But I think in a lot of cases, um, the scoring systems aren't necessarily um, important. Um, mm-hmm. you, I mean, like it, it can help encourage gameplay, but like, I, I don't know if it's, it, I guess it's like an extra goal, a different goal you can have in the game. It's like a separate yeah. thing you can do. Right, right. And it, uh, the question for the designer is, um, if you put the score up on the top of the screen where it's historically been for mm-hmm. o- in older games, yeah. if you do that for yours, like let's say your game is a retro-inspired thing, so that's that's the reason you put your score there. Right. Um, and is it a first-class um, mechanism for players to engage with, or is it a way to extend the life of the game for players who have already played through it, in which case is up there in the on the r- part of the screen, like, is that the best place for yeah. it? Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, how you engage you know, it's thoughtful design like we've preached on this show before. Like, mm-hmm. uh, wh- why are you putting it there versus why are you hiding it, perhaps? Um, so in Widget Satchel, we do have our mischief score. Yeah. Right? And those are definitely inflated numbers because they're <laughs> meant to be ridiculous. Right. <laughs> so in Widget Satchel, uh, you, there, you don't know this score, but um, as you play, you can knock around bits of junk and hit bots more than you have to mm-hmm. and do silly things. Mm-hmm. And everything you do that is not part of the main goal of the game gives you points yeah so it's sort of an inverse idea yeah but that score uh, and then what each activity is worth is hidden from the player mm-hmm. by design so that it becomes a thing they can suss out or figure out but also a way to tell them that it's not that important yeah in a sense yeah i'm really curious how that's going to play in the wild uh for people who say want to get a high mischief score yeah um because it may have un- may have may come out in ways that we didn't intend i'm kind of excited to see that frankly and mm-hmm. um, we did design it in a way where like however it's received it should work yeah <laughs> um our lack of confidence is part of the design in a sense um but the only way you can actually see your mischief score is from the main menu of the game you can't pause and check yeah um and that was a, a deliberate choice we made right um because one we didn't want people uh, worrying about it right and, and like micromanaging it mm-hmm. but we also wanted it to be something that players who weren't good at the game who spent more time noodling around mm-hmm. 
and rather than trying to like get all the things or maybe they made multiple attempts to get that one widget and failed and failed and failed yeah they end up racking up mischief points because in the time they spend they're knocking things around more often right yeah um and so um it's it's meant to be a, a um little sibling friendly mechanic yeah in a sense again yeah. how in the how it's going to work in the wild i'm not totally mm-hmm. certain but um because even in play, in play tests we it's hard for us to engage fully with that mechanic yeah it's a way to be good at widgets actually differently yeah um and well, it's a way to or it's a way to be rewarded for being bad at widget satchel yeah. and you can look at it however you like that's mm-hmm. that's the, the the key of it um and so that's how we approached that basically like scores are silly let's make our scores silly yeah <laughs> i suppose <laughs> yeah you know oh. uh does finjins have uh scoring it does not so i mean you get scrap based on um, right killing things that's resources right but yeah, yeah. it's resources you use it well, to buy things you got you get scores based on how you many things you've hit, right? Oh, oh well, yeah. There's you. It, we do record, temporary scores. We you record stats. Yeah, we record level, your damage, yeah. how much damage you dealt, how much damage you took, how much damage you have healed, mm-hmm. and things like that. I guess those aren't really points, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, players and myself included use those to like say you're better than another player or something at a thing. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, you know, it's really interesting but, because the problem I've had at mm-hmm. that result screen yeah. for Finjins is that. Um, if you play as uh, you know the tank like character, mm-hmm. you get a lot of uh, um, tanky points. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And if you don't, if you play as a, a like a weaker character that can move faster, you don't get any of those points. Mm-hmm. So there's not really a real value to comparing me to that player. Yeah. Because I know they're going to have higher than me, so I don't I don't place any value on that. Likewise with like high damage, that seems to the thing that could be the most thing that could level out. Right. Yeah. Where. Um, you know, all things being equal, whoever hits lands the most hits or does the most damage. But again, some players are better suited for that. Right. Some killers are support players. Yeah. And you have these different metrics that you 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 tell the players. But I would almost suggest finding a way to turn them all into points. Mm. Uh, and this becomes something you have to decide what's worth what. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's a balancing act. But then there would be something that players could compare to each other. That's a good point. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's because, like, there are only, like, two or three characters in the game who can heal, and mm-hmm. we still have a healing stat, like, uh, prominent in, yeah. the, in that stat screen, which I, a lot of players have been like, why is this even here? I, I can't heal. <laughs> yeah, um, like, maybe just an overall score, and then you can hit a button to break it down or something. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a really hard task, because how do you make it, how do you uh, reward certain behavior or other behavior? Yeah. But a lot of games will have different ways to keep. So instead of points, they'll give you different metrics to track. And then two players can compare their, their score on these different metrics. But with a class-based game like Fingence, yeah, it's harder to compare those things. Yeah. You could give, it a, you could give uh, players a ranking, I guess, based on like, how well they did for their team. Yeah, on their yeah. stats maybe. Right. Uh, uh, give players, uh, yeah, uh, like a, you know, an, an A, B, C, D, uh, use S also because yeah. for some reason <laughs> you could use that system mm-hmm. uh, and then every character could have a different metric by which you rank them yeah so that you don't have to worry about comparing necessarily it's just how how well how good of a sparky they were yeah <laughs> sparky <laughs> <laughs> of course that's a lot of work <laughs> oh yeah yeah we don't advocate a lot of work here on the show <laughs> strokes <laughs> creep ah, yeah so if uh-huh. scoring systems are used to extend the life of the game, uh-huh. something something lives and continues. Cool. All so, right. Yeah. We, so didn't, we didn't give you a lot life, to go on there. Extend the life of the game. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. And they'll allow you to continue playing it. There we go. There we go. There we go. <laughs> Boom. Got it. All right. <laughs> got it in one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. My topic is lives and continues, which is... 
Um, I feel like another thing that has been like a, a, a another game design thing that like was in arcades a lot of times, but it has transferred into modern games not quite gracefully. Yeah. Uh, we put these two in the same show because they have synergy. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so we can catch ourselves saying the same thing again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> so just, uh, you know, keep a tally at home. Right. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Lives and Continues uh, really were meant uh, in, uh, in arcade uh, games to like, you know, for people to keep buying arcade tokens so they would keep, could, could keep playing the game and keep getting higher scores or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but, you know, arcades don't really exist anymore. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. They don't really exist that much in the States. And, like, they're more like Dave and Buster's now, which is weird. Mm-hmm. I don't really know how that works. But uh, <laughs> they're more, they were more popular in, uh, like, Japan. Yeah. Uh, but lives and continues still exist in modern games. Like, Mario games, mm-hmm. 2D Mario games still have lives and continues. Kirby games have lives and continues and stuff too. Mm-hmm. And I guess they always have because I don't think Kirby exists in arcade games. Um, and they're oftentimes mainly used in like platformers or shoot 'em ups or something like now that. Now I'm imagining a Kirby arcade cabinet that is like one of the ones you sit in and it's just a big plexiglass pink <laughs> sphere. Yeah. Oh my you God. Climb into. Oh, oh my God. Would buy. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll use all my salary for that. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Um, um, but you have yeah. to go to Dave and Buster's to play it, though. No, <laughs> <laughs> they got chicken wings. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, oftentimes these are used in platformers or shoot 'em ups, but they've been seen in other games as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like they're in, like Doom doesn't have a live system, right? The old Doom, I guess. You know, I don't know. I don't think. I don't know what happens does. when you die. I played that game a lot when I was younger. <laughs> it's I must have wild. never died. That must be it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, um, but like there are um, a few differences between like what a li- lives are and what continues are it's mm-hmm. a little bit confusing because like they haven't been used consistently some games. games don't make a huge distinction even when they have both yeah and some it's a real big deal right um but in yeah in, in most cases uh lives are like um the things you uh this is like your individual chance for the player to get through this particular level um and if you lose a life like if you fall in a pit or you um uh, lose all your health or something like that you have to start back at the checkpoint whatever or in, in that level you did or that level specifically if you didn't find a checkpoint or there are no checkpoints yeah um in older games a lot of times lives there were extra lives and like the scoring systems actually would give you extra lives so that was a purpose of the extra life or the scoring systems back then um but like they were hard to come by um and they were really easy to lose because <laughs> you know they wanted your money um but newer games they tend to give players a ton of lives like um when i played every game on the switch um uh, i got like over 500 lives by the end of the level and i started with like three yeah. <laughs> so yeah they just they just threw them at you um yeah and especially in the beginning they will give you a lot of lives um whereas continues are specifically like chances you have to complete the game so um in like super mario brothers your the original super mario brothers um you would have three lives to complete the level when you lost the life you would you know start back at that beginning of that level um but if you were on level five dash one or something and you lost all of your lives and you um and you ran out of continues then you would have to start back at the beginning from level one dash one um which really sucked it's interesting because like so a continue i'm thinking very much of like the uh beat-em-ups where Uh when you when you die it says continue not nine eight seven and then when you put the quarter in it picks up exactly where you left yes that's exactly that's how vengeance works too yeah Mm -hmm. and but then uh, you know, the my first gaming experience was, was at home yeah. with the NES, and you would get, like, the standard was, like, three continues. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, it, like, the system was so weird. People are familiar with that idea. You get this many lives, this many continues. 
but continues a really a a a, a a mechanic of the arcade yeah that you continues can be infinite if you continue to pay out right um and that having like three continues is almost is weird yeah and then continues became less about picking up exactly where you left off and more about picking up from a, a like a super checkpoint right um and so it, it's very strange yeah it's it's yeah it's a weird thing especially like i think especially in a lot of modern platformers because they will have they'll have lives and like if you fall down a pit you'll lose a life but if you run out of lives in, like, say, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, you just start back at the beginning of the level because, like, there's, like, saves now and, like, auto saves and things like that. And mm-hmm. they keep track of all of those things. Um, and so, like, it never really feels like you're losing a ton of progress when you lose all of your lives or you, you run out of continues or whatever else. It just feels like you have to start that level over again. Yeah. Which is what you were going to do when you lost anyway. Right. So, it's really weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. So I feel like I feel like lives and continues are outdated systems in a lot of cases. Like you, um, a lot of times, games will give you a ton of lives that you just do not, you never use. Uh, like I said, Kirby, I ended up having five hundred lives at the end of the thing, and I, I did not need five hundred lives. Um, and I also feel like a lot of hardcore platformers nowadays like to just get rid of all those live systems completely, so that you can just keep trying it over and over again. Mm-hmm. Hyperdot doesn't have lives, for example. I guess yeah. it's not a platformer, but like. Um, yeah, like you once you lose, you just start the level over again immediately afterwards. Super right. Meat Boy is the same way. Yeah, like, like roguelikes and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Games that have quick restarts tend to not keep track of lives mm-hmm. uh, because you, they expect you to die a lot. Yeah, right, right. Which they have in common with old school platformers or old school arcade games, but right. like you know, the the motivations for playing the games have changed. But like, you could not make every life in Super Meat Boy worth a quarter in the arcades. Yeah, you'd have to give them in packs of thirty or something. Yeah. And even that would not be a good arcade experience necessarily because it would feel bad as you got closer to the end of your quarter instead of the tension of maybe losing your quarter. Yeah. Right. Um, So like the mechanic wouldn't necessarily work in a system that actually cared of running out of them. Yeah. Lives. Yeah. And I also think like in modern games, we have uh, better systems for like losing that makes you feel like you are running out of resources or, you know, like makes your losses feel important. Yeah. Like Dark Souls games, You, you know, if you die, you lose all of your stuff. Right. Um, and so you want to keep all your stuff so you don't lose. Uh, or you try not to anyway. <laughs> you just but, make the choice to not lose. Right. <laughs> so you can keep all your stuff. Yeah. That's how video games work. <laughs> oh, man. Exactly. The, uh, there's some combat stuff that I've had to do in my time in Portia to mm-hmm. do some of the missions. And man, combat kind of sucks in that game. Because yeah. if you you don't lose very often because the enemies are all real, real easy to beat. Mm-hmm. But if you do... Then you have to go back to the beginning of the day. Oh, your last save point. Ah, yeah. I was like, Oof. oh, it's like because in Stardew Valley, if you lose, then you wake up like at you you lose that day yeah. that you were on, like because you wake up at at night and are like, oh, you know, we found you last night. You know, you don't lose progress. You don't lose progress. You, you don't lose, lose what you've already done. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. Ah. It's a really interesting way to handle it. Mm-hmm. So. I think it feels kind of like an oversight. Like, oh crap, what do you do when you die? I guess we'll just reload. It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Uh, that does not feel as good as having lives. I don't think. Like, so it, I guess it depends on the context. Well, yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because, like, I, it can be used as a method to like uh, tune the difficulty in a lot of ways. Like in Finjans, for example, we have continues, um, 
even though I just said and continues are outdated uh, <laughs> because uh, we wanted to make it so that um, the easier difficulties are easier for players who, you know, they like just want to play the game um, or, or, you know, just starting up the game and they're trying to figure out how to play. Yeah. Um, and so we give them more continues so like they can make mistakes um, and they don't get punished as hard as a player who's played on the uh, playing on the harder difficulties because you get less continues on higher difficulties. But also your continues are basically like group lives. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. a player can, uh, it takes longer to respawn after every death, mm -hmm. but as long as other players are still going, you have infinite lives. Yes. It's only when all the players are wiped out that the, that the option to continue appears. Right. So it's called a continue because it's familiar to players, but mm -hmm. it doesn't work the same way. That's true. And giving the, the group a finite amount of continues is basically saying the group has three or four lives or whatever. Yep. So like I've, I feel like that is a perfectly suitable way to implement a live system. Calling it a continue... I think leverages into what people are familiar used to seeing, especially because you do actually continue the game. Right. Yeah. You um, immediately start out where you just uh, got your team defeated. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like you've almost sort of like taken the expectation and, and transferred it onto a, a, a more modern mechanic. Like I don't, I don't see anything uh, anachronistic or old fashioned about how you've done it. Oh yeah. You know? No, we are real modern here in this game <laughs> industry. So. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think we did a good job um, implementing it, uh, but I don't know. I, I feel like in a lot of cases, like lives, just they don't make any sense to have in the game. Mm -hmm. Like I really like the change that they made in uh, Super Mario Odyssey uh, to just use coins because I mean it's still like a minor inconvenience because you lost ten coins, yeah. but like even then, it's barely anything because you earn so many coins in that game. Right, and you and then it it the player who is wanting to get every coin mm -hmm. not that you actually can in that game because yeah. they are kind of an infinite resource yeah but the the player who wants to especially earn like earn up to buy that 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 cosmetic thing in the shop right um like that player does care about those 10 coins mm -hmm. and but it's so little that if you don't really care about it then you don't care at all about right. it. right and so it, it actually works for both types of players yeah like if you lose lost 100 coins then you would have players not want to collect any new coins mm -hmm. because they're so easy to lose. Mm -hmm. um, but because it's just that amount, then the player who's not keeping a huge track of it doesn't notice, but the player who is keeping a track of tracking of it will notice. Yeah, they'll notice, but even then they still won't feel, it won't be the worst thing in the world. It'll, it'll right. still suck a little but bit. But it still works as a motivator to yeah. not fall down the oh, cliff. Oh, totally, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that like the way lives work in a lot of cases, they will... De they will demotivate you from like experimenting or trying new things. Yeah. Um, which actually, now that I think about it, in a lot of platformers makes sense because you want them to do the thing that you programmed the game to do. <laughs> but, um, but like in Super Mario Odyssey or other games like that, uh, it will, you know, it will prevent you from trying to experiment. And so I think maybe that was to, to the detriment of Super Mario 64 because mm -hmm. it had lives. Um, but like you didn't want to lose your lives because I, I guess actually if you lost all your lives, you would just start back at the castle. Um, so it, like it didn't make, you didn't lose a lot of progress, but like you seeing that number go down just makes you feel bad. Yeah. Um, and so it makes you not want to like try like jumping over this gap because, um, you might fail and you might lose your lives and then and that would suck. Mm -hmm. Um, so like in those instances, I think it maybe it is a detriment to, to, to that game. Um, but yeah, I think that like in, in a lot of cases it can be useful. Um, if you're going for like an arcade feel, it makes, it can make sense to do lives. Like vengeance yeah. is kind of going for an arcade feel, but mm -hmm. we don't use lives in the exact same way. Yeah. Um, and you, and if you're trying to, if you're using lives as a way to earn money, I guess, and get people to buy lives, it's good for microtransactions and those kinds of purposes. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Uh, and yeah, it can be used to mitigate difficulty um, in in some ways, like I was talking about with vengeance. So yeah, there are there are options for it. I don't think it's like so outdated that you should just never use them. But right, like, right. But like you just just think it through before you just put it in, just because other games have done it. Yeah, there's still a place for giving a character three or four lives, mm-hmm. and then when they lose them, make them start the whole game over. Yeah, depends on the type of game. Right, right. Depends on how, what kind of, what what does lost progress mean. Mm-hmm. And and you know if you have a care of a game where there's lots of inventory building and like uh, managing and leveling up, and then you give them just they run out of continues and have to start the game over yeah. like that is incredibly punishing mm-hmm. because we're but a, a more traditional platformer where you start out with all the skills you're ever going to have yeah like losing the whole game isn't really a big deal right necessarily you yeah because you could just do it again yeah. Um, in Widget's Satchel, there are no lives, and mm-hmm. you can't die. Yeah. Um, and so that was a, a choice we made somewhat arbitrarily at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and then we leaned into. Mm-hmm. Um, and what the problem that we've had in Widget's Satchel is that it it um, we have failure points where you have, yeah. you fall down a pit, and then it takes you back. So you have to work your way back. And that can be a little tedious in places. We try to mitigate that. Mm-hmm. But also, losing lives is a real good way for players to 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 in their mind be like, oh, I'll try that again. Yeah. And because we just have, doesn't have that like moment where it's like, try it again. Yeah. Um, we've, we've had to design levels to give you that. And that's been an unexpected challenge. Yeah. 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 It was, it was kind of difficult to do that because yeah, it's just so different from other games. Most games you have there, you know, a pit. And even if you don't have a lives, you just start back at the beginning of the thing. There's a restart. Point yeah. Where widget satchel, you have to literally crawl, crawl your way back over to the, to to starting point, which I mean is even worse because it feels like you're wasting your time tr- attempting it and wasting yeah. your time getting back. Right. So one of the things I've done when I'm designing sections of that in that game is to reward failure. So yeah. put fun things down in that pit, mm-hmm. either extra widgets or just things to knock around, so that I mean, even if you have to do it over and over and over again, um, you don't feel bad having done it at all. Yeah. You know, and that's I think that's some limited success. It's being yeah. being honest about like the um the issue the problems we've introduced in the game. Yeah. Benefits are. Is that it? Like, especially for younger players, like dying has is is a meaning. Like mm-hmm. it it, mean, it it means failure in a different way yeah. than than just missing the jump feels. And so I think that that's an, that's a thing we don't have in the game, and that's been really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, it keeps the players engaged for a little longer because it doesn't actually tell them, doesn't give them any moment to stop and think. Like maybe I'm done with this game. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so we've had players play for longer mm-hmm. and uh, and not realize it's because the game never gave you any opportunity to leave. Yeah, <laughs> which is kind of I don't know. We did that on purpose, but like it, it works. It works, works out. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, Martha, we had playtests last night, and the the most difficulty anybody ever had was in the sections you designed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, who is the sadistic puzzle master who made me make these these perfectly timed jumps? And I didn't want to tell them it was someone who doesn't like platformers that much. <laughs> well, you know, gotta, gotta let people know how I feel, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they'll know afterwards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, uh... I was just, I was charged with making uh-huh. something with lifts and belts, yeah, and that's yeah. what I did. Yep. <laughs> so They are very well designed. Yeah, that's the, that's the yeah. thing, is that people will say, like, man, things have been sort of a cakewalk up to now, but now it really asking something from me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's ways to get around it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, players figure it out. Jeez. Yeah, but I, you know, I've, I've asked, especially because that's the, where the game is the most difficult. I've asked mm-hmm. players, like, you know, is it, uh, like, how frustrating is it 
Is it different from if it were just you were to die like a super meatball kind of thing? And pretty much, I mean, what what a player is feeling, what they say they're feeling is different. Yeah. But for the most part, um, I think we get away with it. <laughs> I think people don't seem to be lashing out at that. They may not realize if they were to understand like, oh, if you did, if it just reset you back up at that spot, if you fell mm. or if it went back even a little further, but you didn't have to backtrack or whatever. If you gave them a poll, we might get some players who would prefer it the other way. Yeah. But nobody's asking for it. So I'm still a little nervous about what the reaction will be, but I think we're doing okay. Well, you can take them out if you want. (laughs) (laughs) If it's too hard for people. No, no, no. They're staples. They need to stay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Really, what it represents is the failure of the rest of us to design challenging platforming (laughs) (laughs) sites. That's a good point. (laughs) So they're staying. (laughs) That's our show. If you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app and be sure to give it a good review if you like it or are nice like us. We really do need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. And if you see us around at events or hear us, <laughs> feel free to say something because uh, at Minibar, one of our listeners, Andy, turned around and was like, I recognize your voice. You're on that podcast. And it was great. So thanks, Andy. That's um, uh Two for two for mini bar appearances for you, right? Yeah. That happened to you last year. <laughs> yeah. So it's pretty fun when that happens. So um, yeah, feel free to reach out to us. Uh, we also want to hear directly from you. So follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club and email us at contact at nicegames.club. Lastly, you can find out more about the show and your nice hosts, as well as get all the links and show notes from this and other episodes at nicegames.club. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. 